So a year ago, I was at the gym, believe it or not, and I was on the elliptical, and I'm listening to a podcast by Alan Scott from Cosmic Coast Vineyard, and, he, and he's talking about this thing they do for four weeks in the summer, and they, they call it 10,000 hours, and they serve their community. Well, they're a church of between two and 3,000 people. It was a really, really awkward moment for me because I'm in the gym and I'm listening to the stories this guy's telling about serving their community and I start crying. I hate when I'm crying in the gym. And, and this thing comes on me and I go, we got to do that. And I go, there's no way we could do 10,000 hours, but we could do 1,000 hours. And so I, I wrestled with it for a few weeks because I thought, I'm crazy. There's no way we can do this. And then I kind of brought it up with a couple people, just sort of casually dropped hints. They go, oh, yeah, we could do that. So I took it to our leadership team, and they said, yeah, let's do it. And uh, throughout the whole month, there was dissension. We're never going to make it. We're never going to get there. Uh, and a lot of the hours were hours that individuals did, that people served their neighbors and friends and other things. And I just got to say this. As a pastor, I could not be more blessed and more proud and more honored to be with a group of people than you guys. The fact that this many people would serve our community and care for our community the way you have the last four weeks is unbelievable to me. I am just, thank you. All right, let's do something. <laughs> I don't know what to do now. Just thank you. I, uh, there's already been talk. We learned a lot along the way and talk about doing it again. So pray. I, I, I really do think this is something we can get better at and do again. Uh, we, we, you know, we, we touch people. We touch people. I, you know, the, the chief of police came by the other day. The chief of police came by just to say thank you for the card you guys wrote. You should know that. And just to say thank you for just doing what we're doing and for caring about the community. And... Uh, it was, it was an amazing thing to me to think that we could actually, you know, do this. So, again, um, yeah, on that note, uh, you know, here, I'll, I'll try to get into the teaching a little bit if I can. Uh, you know, life is a roller coaster. It has ups and downs and sharp left turns and like a roller coaster, sometimes you can see those things. You know when you're on a roller coaster and you're going up the big hill really, 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 really slow, but you know you're going to get to the top and go down really fast. So sometimes you know what's coming, but sometimes you don't know. You know, sometimes it turns really sharp and you go, whoa, because you don't know what's coming. And that's the way life is. Sometimes we can see things. We know what's happening. Other times it just takes us by surprise. And oftentimes my experience has been that the emotional roller coaster that we go on that goes along with some of those events of life can be every bit as challenging and as difficult as the events themselves. And so it's because of that that Kevin and I are doing this little series on emotions, processing emotions. What do we do with these things? How, how do we get through life? Um, I want to review, start with a, a review of a point from last week that I thought was so important for all of us to know, and that is that our emotions are given to us by God. They're a part of who we are, a part of our identity. We are created by God as emotional beings. 
Psalm 139 says, You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. That word inmost be, or two words, inmost being, is an interesting uh, little word. In the Hebrew, the word is kilyah. And as is often the case, there's no direct English translation. There's no way we, can, we, we really can't get from there to here. So it's translated different ways. In the New American Standard, that word comes up different times, the Hebrew word, and it's translated as feelings, fi- finest, heart, inmost being, inward parts, kidneys, mind, minds, and within. But the actual closest thing to the literal definition is a kidney. And the reason is, in ancient Hebrew, they believed in it, that your kidneys were where your emotions were. That's where they came from. I, I don't know how they got that. I'm not, but that's what they believed. And so the idea really is this, that God created our inmost part. God created our emotions. He gave them to us. They really do come from him and it's a blessing and it's okay to be emotional people. They really are part of who God has made us to be, which for me is good news. Okay. So when I'm at the gym and I start crying, I don't have to be as embarrassed as I might be because I realize, well, the fact is that God made me this way. And so I'll just embrace it. Um, The second thing I think is important for us to understand is our emotions are part of being created in the image of God. You know, Different people have different views of God, and and sometimes we see God as being distant and far off and stoic and disconnected from life. But the truth is that in the same way that what happens to one another affects us, we're emotional over things that happen in each other's lives, God gets emotional over things that happen in our lives. He's very connected to what's happening in the world that he created, and he has emotions attached to that, and we're created in God's image. So our emotional being is part of what makes us like him. God feels all of the same emotions that we do. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about anger. And Psalm 7 tells us God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. We're going to look at sadness. And God feels sadness over the brokenness of the world. I, I was, it was sad this week. It's just the world that we live in. It's a train wreck. And it makes me sad. And I realize that that's part of God, too. He's sad over what's happening in the world around us. The Lord saw the wickedness of the human race on earth, and every inclination and thought of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. The heart of God was deeply troubled over the evil in the world. Psalm 78, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the wasteland. God was grieved over those things as well. But, on that note, this morning we're going to talk about joy. And God also has joy in his heart, and I I love this. I'll rejoice, this is God speaking through Jeremiah, I will rejoice in doing them, who is us, good. God rejoices in doing good for us and will assuredly plant them in this land with all of his heart and soul. And then I love this one from Isaiah. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder, God, that's capital B, marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Isn't that precious? 
God rejoices over you. And then there's one that you guys are familiar with. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. So this morning I want to look at, for just a few minutes, joy and talk really specifically about the joy of the Lord. Uh, Our text is going to be from Nehemiah chapter 8, but I want to give you just a little bit of background, a little context for it before I read it. Um, Because of their rebellion and their disobedience to God, he allowed uh, the Israelites to be taken captive by the Babylonians. And they were... uh, the period of his, this period of Israel's history is called the exile because they were actually taken captive and then removed from Israel and held in Babylon for 70 years. And when they were taken captive, uh, Jerusalem and other parts of Israel were destroyed. The city was destroyed. The temple where they worshipped was burned. And the wall, the protective wall around the city was knocked down. And the Israelites were taken away and held captive in Babylon for 70 years. 70 years is a long time. And so, obviously, during that period of time, some people would have died. They they died in captivity, never to return home. Others were born in captivity. They were born into slavery. And at the point in which... God freed them and they were able to return to their home. You had some people that were returning that were coming back to a very distant memory. And I don't know if you've ever visited a place, maybe that you were as a child or a long, long time ago, and you see it and you kind of remember it, but kind of don't. But that would have been their experience. And then there were others who were actually coming home to their home for the very first time. They were coming home to a home they'd never been to before. And so that's sort of the situation that's taking place when we pick up in chapter 8 of Nehemiah. We'll read this together and then uh, talk a little bit about the joy of the Lord. The text here, uh, it has two lists of names in it, and I took the names out just to simplify the reading, but everything else is the same. The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the temple servants, along with certain of the people and the rest of the Israelites settled in their own towns. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. That's not water gate, that's the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. Sometimes the gatherings would be men only. In this case, not only men and women, but even young people were there. Anybody old enough? to be able to hear the word and understand the word was present. Uh, We don't know how many people, but some scholars say there were probably uh, 5,000 people gathered at this meeting on that day. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. As he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen. Amen. And they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. So 
He's reading the law and the Levites are going among the people and they're giving him instruction and telling him how to worship and explaining what's being said to them as this is happening. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving it meaning so the people could understand what was being read. And then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, the teacher of the law, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of, Nehemiah, words of the law. And Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. And then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they had now understood the words that had been made known to them. Powerful, powerful scene. In the next chapter, it says that from the day of Joshua to this day, there had never been such a great celebration. We'll focus on verse 10. The day, This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That uh, little phrase, the joy of the Lord, comes up a few times in Scripture at different places. But this particular saying here, the joy of the Lord is your strength, is only uh, here in this place. Nowhere else does it say that. Um, Israel had come through what was... They had been through a lot of dark times in their history. This may have been the darkest time in their history. And even though they had been released from captivity, they had come back to this home that was a distant memory to them, and it was destroyed and burned and broken down. Uh, the temple had been rebuilt at this point and had been uh, kind of prepared for worship again, uh, and the wall had been rebuilt around the city, but there was a lot more work still to be done. And not only was there work to be done, but I, I really believe what's happening here today is the Israelites have lost touch with who they are as children of God. Their identity had been crushed, not just their city and their, their place, their home, but their, their, who they were as the chosen people of God had been taken away from them. There's really... Two connotations, I think, to the phrase, the joy of the Lord, that correspond with what we said earlier about emotions in general. And the first is that uh, the joy of the Lord comes from God. It's from God. It's a gift from Him. And because the joy of the Lord comes from God, it's not contingent upon the circumstances of our life. It has nothing to do about with what's happening around us. It has to everything to do with who we are in Jesus. That's where the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord is in this, that you're his son, you're his daughter, you're chosen, you're, you're the one that he loves, you're the object of his affection, and that's where the joy comes from. And, and we can experience and know that in the midst of whatever is happening around us. And the second thing that's equally important to me is this, that it's the joy of the Lord. It's actually his joy that we enter into. We talked about being created in the image of God, and we enter into the joy of the Lord. We enter into what God is and who he is and what he's experiencing and feeling. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the parable of the talents. And you remember the uh, one guy buried him in the ground, the other guys went out and they, they multiplied him. And at the end of that, the ones who did well, the master came back and he said, now enter into your master's joy. It's, it's the master's joy. And he's saying, I want you to enter into my joy with me. 
And see, that's where our strength is. Your strength is in the joy of the Lord. When we enter into the joy that's in the heart of God, we find a place of strength that we can't find in the circumstances of life. It really, really does come from getting in touch with who we are in Jesus, and it has nothing to do with what's going on in the world around us. The world can be dark at times, and as I mentioned earlier, and it's just it just seems to get worse sometimes. I don't know. Get it, but I can have strength in the joy of the Lord because I know who I am in Him no matter what's taking place around me. You see, that never changes. The world can go up and down. There can be that roller coaster ride and those left turns and everything can happen, but nobody can take away the fact that we are children of God. Nobody can take that away from us. I want to go back to the text for just a second. There's a phrase there in verse 1. It says, When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one. And, and, I, and I want to say this. See, they had been in exile. They, they lived in slavery together, and then they'd been released, and they'd come home together, and then they'd worked to rebuild those things that had been taken together. And it's those shared experiences that create unity in our hearts. You know, we talk a lot about unity, and there's a big... I, I mean, in the church today, and I, I think it's a good thing, unity is, is, is a topic of, of the moment, and there's a lot of talk about unity across the board in, in different uh, meetings and in, in, in churches across the country and around the world. But we've got to come to the realization that unity is not just a doctrinal belief. It's not just a good idea. Unity isn't something we say, oh, okay, you're different than me, but I still like you, so we'll get along, and that's unity. No, unity really is going through the ups and downs of life together. That's what draws us together. See, to me, here's the thing. A thousand hours... One of the things I like the most about it, and several people have commented, you know, is we did it together. There was opportunities for families, and, and, I, and I love it, for families to serve together and work together. And I, I, I love nothing more than watching our kids out there wash cars and then wash each other. <laughs> uh, I love that. And we, we did it together, and it creates unity when we go through those experiences together. I signed up to do the coffee outreach with Wally and Roger. And at a little after 5 o'clock on Wednesday morning, my alarm went off. And I didn't want to get up. I thought, I don't have to go. I could just go back to sleep. And they'll still give coffee away. And everybody will be fine. But I thought, no, I'm going to go. And so I got up and put a hat on and... It was really the grace of God. I was on autopilot all the way to Tigard. I mean, I got here and Wally and Roger unfold this little table and they set it up and got a little coffee and seconds later, this guy yells. He goes, hey, I remember you guys last time you were here. And he comes over and he goes, he goes, you want some coffee? He goes, oh yeah, man, I need coffee. I need coffee. And, uh, we're talking to him, and Wally says, you need prayer for anything? He goes, yeah, I'm, I'm homeless, and I have MS, and i got to get on a bus to go downtown to get medicine. And he says, let us pray for you. And we pray for this guy. And I'm thinking, okay, now it's five after six, and I didn't want to get out of bed, and I'm praying for a guy in the transit station. And the next hour, 
we, we, it was three old guys. We talked about our dogs and our grandkids and our aches and pains. And uh, such an old guy conversation. And I left and I thought, man, I'm so glad I got up and went and did that. That was way better than the extra hour of sleep I would have got if I didn't go. And that's what happens when we go through shared experiences together in life is, is we find that unity, and it's really together as one, I think, that God created us so that we really can find strength in the joy of the Lord. It, ha- it, it doesn't happen individually. We can't get there on our own. We need each other in that. It says that Ezra read the Word of God from daybreak till noon. And I just want to comment, if anybody ever complains about me preaching too long, just go back and read the text. Six hours, people. Um, But here's what happened. The Israelites had lost their identity. They didn't know who they were. And the Word of God begins to be poured into their hearts again. And it's penetrating their hearts. And they're realizing who they are. And and life is coming back into them. Life's coming back into them. And they're getting in touch with who they are again as God's chosen people. They're getting in touch again with what they're for and their purpose and their identity and all those things that have been taken away from them. And it's an emotional time. And it's an emotional thing to feel and sense and know the presence of God like that. And they're worshiping and they're saying, amen, amen. And, and they're, they're shouting and cheering, but they're also on the ground weeping and they're grieving. And I think they're grieving over the loss. They're grieving over what had been taken from them. And, and the, the, the priests and the Levites are saying, no, don't grieve, rejoice. And all this is happening together. And I don't know, sometimes we can be so overwhelmed by life that you don't know what to feel. Anybody ever been there? I mean, I, I've been, there's been times when I go, I don't even know what I'm supposed to feel right now. And I think that was happening. But the, the priests and Levites spoke life into them and just said, hey, hey, you guys, it's a time to rejoice. God's here. God's with us. Yeah, there's work to be done. It's not over yet. And we have a lot more ahead. But God's with us in it all. And we can rejoice in that. And to me, there's a whole new perspective that takes place. I, I had this thought this week. So you know there's that old saying, well, are you a half glass full or a half glass empty person? You see the glass full or empty? I thought, well, here's the reality. The reality is the glass is half full and half empty, but God's here no matter what. That's the perspective. It's a whole different plane. It's not about the glass of water. It's about the fact that God's here with us in the middle of it. And I believe it honors the Lord when we get a hold of that and we make celebration a way of life. I believe the Israelites here on this day began to make celebration a way of life. And I I hope and pray for us that we begin as a church to make celebration a way of life. That we can learn to walk in the joy of the Lord and find our strength in that regardless of what happens in our midst. This day... Is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I want to just close with a verse from John 15. This is the whole grapes and vines and branches and abide in me passage. And towards the end of it, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, God loved me, Jesus, so I have loved you, all of you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this, so that, again, my joy 
may be in you and your joy may be complete. Let's stand.